0: grace well we're going to turn to prayer now and mark's going to come and lead us in prayer before we sing again lord as we enter your presence this evening and come before your throne of grace we are so conscious of your holy 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 god you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them You are a gracious and a loving Heavenly Father and Lord we are humbled as we come before you recognizing that you are the God and creator of this world a mighty one and Father we just thank you for the opportunity of coming into your presence this evening and bringing our Petitions and requests and praises to you and Father we just praise you for the love that you have extended to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and Lord as we recognize we are sinful beings we've fallen short of your commands and yet Lord we know we don't enter into your presence Because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And Father, we just rejoice this evening that the burden of sin has been lifted from us and borne by Christ. And through His love and sacrifice, We are clothed in his righteousness as we come into your presence. And Father, we thank you that we can look this evening into that reconciliation that you have blessed us with. That we are no longer under the condemnation of our sin. but through Christ we are reconciled to you and we can call you Abba, Father, and know that you hear our prayers and that you love us to the extent of giving your only begotten Son that we might be right with you. Father, thank you for the reminder this evening of your worldwide church. Thank you for the blessing that Neil and Liz, brought to Dave, David and Binny, And we thank you for the blessing that they received in their time with them. And Father, we again recognize it's by your hand of grace that your church is established throughout this world. And we pray that you would continue to bless David and Binnie in the ministry that you've called them to, that you would give them encouragement and strength for the, each day that they work for you. And Lord, I pray that those uh, different groups, the house uh, meetings, the, the, the church gatherings, the youth, the Sunday school, would all know your hand of blessing upon them and that there would be, A sense of your presence with them as they meet together, as they worship you, as they cry out to you for help and for blessing. And Father we pray that the encouragement that Neil and Liz brought to David and Binnie would carry them through these next weeks and months and that they would look back upon that time and see how you have encouraged them in the work that you've called them to. And Lord I pray that you would bless David's ministry, that as he preaches your word, as he teaches, as he comes alongside his congregation, that there would be a growing in grace, a growing in their love for you, in their knowledge of you, in their desire to serve you and to see others saved. And Father, we thank you for the uh, safety and blessing that you've blessed Neil and Liz with over that time away we thank you for the many answers to prayer that you gave and Father we also remember this evening Tenebu and Bethan in Senegal we pray for them that you would bless their work for you in that place and we pray especially today that you would bless Suzanne as she's baptised as she was baptised earlier today we pray Lord that you would protect her you would keep her that you would bless her in that faith and that love for you that she's professed and that others would be encouraged in their walk with you seeing Suzanne in her love for you and father we just pray for Bethan and Tenebu as they meet with others in their uh, village as they meet with uh, friends to open your word with them as they Uh, have Bible studies together that you would grant them wisdom as they speak as they share your truth as they lead others to know the way of salvation that you would bless that ministry richly and that you would draw others into your kingdom through their witness and testimony in that place and Father we thank you today for what's uh, happened in this village in the uh, giving of gifts in the um, sharing of the invitations to the various services over the Christmas time in this place. And Lord, of thank you for the conversations that were had with people on the doorstep, with others in the street. And Lord, I pray that those words that were shared would remain with those that received them, that they would consider They're standing before you that they would consider why this church exists in this place. They would think about why we are so keen to share with them the good news of the gospel. And Lord, we pray for this place that you would draw many through this Christmas time into this place to hear the gospel, to hear your word preached, to hear the good news of our Savior and that they would be drawn to you and Lord we long to see many converted in this place that we would have opportunity to share the good news with those that you are working in their hearts and minds that you would draw them into your kingdom through the witness and testimony of your church in this place and Father we thank you for the gift day today In support of the Benevolent Fund, we thank you for your riches and goodness to us, Lord, and the fact that we have what we need. And you have blessed us abundantly, and your goodness overflows into our lives. And Lord, I pray that you might bless us as we seek to be generous to others, and that through that fund, through that giving, through the opportunities that arise, that again, your love will be extended to those in need. And not just in a monetary way, but in a spiritual way, in a, in a way that brings them to realize their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, those in our fellowship that are in need, we pray, Lord, that you would, through this fund, bless them too, and that you would give our elders and, and pastors wisdom as they seek to meet the needs through that fund. And Father, we pray for the preaching of your word this evening. Be upon Saab. Enable him to know the power of your Holy Spirit in him as he preaches your word. As he brings encouragement and challenge to us. Lord, give us attentive ears. Speak to our hearts. Help us to hear you and to marvel and wonder at your goodness and grace and bring glory to your name. And Lord, we pray that as your word is read, that we would receive blessing through that. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
1: Okay, so the reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, um, starting at verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 2. And if you've got a Blue Bible, it's page 1161. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. we implore you on Christ's behalf to be, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation..
2: Uh, Lisa, thanks very much indeed for reading uh, for us this evening. Before we start, let's uh, just take a moment uh, to pray. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, uh, you would help us all uh, this evening. Father, I pray that uh, uh, we might see the Lord Jesus uh, more clearly, more brightly and that we would have a right perspective of who we are before you. Be at work in our hearts, encourage us, and challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, through 2 Corinthians, and tonight we'll be looking at how God, was, how God is drawing together uh, the work that he's done in salvation history, uh, together with what God is calling us to do. And so that we can have in our minds where we're going this evening... Uh, We're going to start actually at verse 10, uh, where we read, For we we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So at the start, we're going to be fixing our eyes upon the judgment seat of Christ, where Paul sets our eyes. And then we're going to be journeying down to verse 21, uh, that we might become uh, the righteousness uh, of God. And I want us to lift a couple of things out of the passage as we journey from verse 10 through to verse uh, 21. Firstly, that we will have a new perspective. uh, And secondly, um, that uh, there is a a power uh, and a ministry uh, that we are called to. So we're going to be looking at uh, uh, moving from verse 10 to verse 21, dwelling on on having the right perspective uh, and power and ministry that we're called to. So let's take a look at um, verses 10 through uh, 11a, uh, where Paul writes this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. In helping us get the right perspective, uh, Paul gives us uh, a perspective about who we are uh, and therefore clarity also uh, about who God is. And for us to have the right perspective, uh, he calls us to reflect uh, on three things. Uh, Firstly, the judgment seat uh, of Christ. Uh, Secondly, the fear of the Lord. And thirdly, uh, that believers are a new creation. So as our reading opens, Paul tells us that all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he tells us that uh, we know what it is to fear the Lord. It's absolutely clear in Paul's mind uh, that all people will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that place, they will receive what is due to them, be it good uh, or bad. It's noteworthy that Paul isn't writing to those who don't believe and trust in Christ He's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, we all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ because there what we have done will be weighed and it will be measured. An account will need to be given by me uh, and also by you. There's a very clear understanding that Christ, God the Son, is the judge. Uh, Not only that, Paul tells us that our attitude should be one of fear before the Lord. So let's look at uh, those two things, judgment for Christians and fear of the Lord. Uh, In Paul's first letter to the church, uh, he tells them that what is done in the name of the Lord matters to God. Uh, That God will examine, he will measure and weigh what we've done, and then God will test it and test it hard to see what it's made of. And it will either survive the fiery examination of what we've done, uh, or it will be exposed as worthless. Allow me one cheeky cross-reference here. Uh, if you keep a finger or a thumb uh, in that passage and turn back to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And we'll look at uh, verses uh, 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 Through 15, Paul writes this, again to uh, the same church uh, in Corinth, the context is the same, and he writes this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." God has built a work, a work of salvation. And the foundation that's been laid is the saving work of the Lord Jesus. And each one of us in our service of the Lord is building on that foundation. Paul tells us that we are either working on uh, that foundation and building with great care, uh, with great diligence, and with great sacrifice, putting into the work the best that we have, And to illustrate that, he uses the image of gold, of silver, and of costly stones. Or we're not giving our best, uh, which Paul says is like building with wood, with hay, or with straw. Uh, The same imagery that Paul used in the first letter to the Corinthians is picked up again by Paul uh, in our reading in verses 10 and 11a. But at the judgment seat of Christ, what we've built, you and me, that will be examined. It will be exposed, it will be assessed, it will be judged. What we do to serve Christ now really matters. What might building with precious materials or straw look like? Uh, three illustrations uh, in our own lives. Uh, how deliberate are we at carving out time to be in God's word, to meditate on his word, to pray And to be in fellowship. Do we build with gold, silver and precious stones. When we ensure. Sorry. Do we build with gold, silver and precious stones. When we ensure that we read scripture. By setting aside time every day. To do that. Do we do that? Do we make it a priority? Do we make it a priority to gather with the people of God. In prayer, in worship and in fellowship. Or is it something that we do. As and when it's convenient. What does care for our neighbour look like? Uh, Have we been building with costly stones of humble service, of close care, and real interest for them, investing in those friendships over time? And what does it look like uh, for you to be known as a Christian in your workplace or in your social setting? Are you building with gold and silver as you seek to serve your colleagues? Not being involved in gossiping, being fair and transparent in your dealings with them. And also looking for opportunities to share the gospel and invite your colleagues to church events and activities. That's building with precious materials. Or or do you keep quiet, behaving like everyone else and are reluctant to speak about the Lord Jesus? That's building with straw. Please don't mishear me. Let me say this slowly. I'm not saying that it's results that matter. That if you don't manage every single day to read your Bible or your neighbors and your work colleagues want nothing to do with the gospel, that somehow your salvation is in jeopardy. No, our salvation is not based on what we do our salvation is secure from the moment we trust in Christ and submit to him as Lord and Saviour because it's Christ who wins our salvation. But to the extent and degree that we receive a reward and enjoy the heavenly things now and through all eternity that will be smaller if we build poorly if we build with hay, with wood or with straw. So the first perspective we need is that of knowing that God is the judge, that we are those who will have to give an account. The second perspective is that the Lord is to be feared. What is it to fear the Lord? Uh, The term fear of the Lord occurs many times through scripture. For instance, uh, when the prophet Isaiah comes before, uh, before God in the temple, he declares, woe is me, I have come undone. And he falls flat on his face. Uh, There's a sense of coming before someone who is beyond measure and all powerful. Someone who reveals our imperfections, our smallness, our fleeting and transient nature. And when we come into the presence of the superlative goodness, majesty and power of God, well, we lose our footing because we fear the Lord. It's not a fearful terror per se, but it's knowing and realizing the enormity Of who it is that we have come before. Uh, In the children's stories written by the Christian C.S. Lewis, uh, he has as the Christ figure a lion called Aslan. Uh, The children in that story, when they first hear about Aslan, are excited and then they wonder if they might be safe with a lion in their midst. And uh, this is the exchange between uh, Susan and Mr. Beaver when Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan is a lion. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, Mr. Beaver. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And the perspective we need is that God is the all-powerful, completely holy, utterly righteous, eternal, unchanging creator God beyond all time and space. And we're small, finite creatures. God is not safe, but he is good. And we lose sight of that enormous gulf, don't we, that exists between us as creatures and of God. God in his eternal power. Now we forget that, and as we do forget that, or we tend to forget that, that results in a couple of problems uh, of making God small and diminishing the significance of our sin. So firstly, we forget the enormity of God. And that means that we tend to have too small a view of who God is. Uh, as we try to downplay the notion of the fear of the Lord, we make God smaller. Uh, we confuse the uh, privilege of access to God as his children with being in some way of equal standing with the Father. And therefore, that access to the throne room we take as a right rather than a privilege. Consequently, God is no longer God Almighty. Is God Almighty. In the words of Susan spoken to Mr. Beaver, we've made God safe. We've made God small. We've made God in our image. Uh, Secondly, because we think that God is almighty and like us, we start to think sin is a small problem, uh, that in some way we can take care of it. It's nice if God would do something about sin, but basically, we've got this covered. We can fix it. Let me show you how this might work, or how crazy this notion is. The Brazilian squad. As a lad, I've played football. To say that I lacked talent would be an understatement of just how bad I was. But now imagine, I see the Brazilian squad for the 2022 World Cup, and I think, with these words ringing in my ear, how hard can it be? How hard can it be? So I pick up the phone, phone the Brazilian manager, get on a plane, head off to Qatar, meet with the Brazilian manager. After five seconds, he says, no, no. You're more than twice... As old as the players I have. You have no fitness. You lack any ability. Oh, and by the way, you're not Brazilian. Yeah. I can I can tell him. Yeah. I tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll train. Yeah, for a couple of weeks. I'll put in a bit of practice. I'll stay off the junk food uh, for a couple of days, and and then I will be ready. And you can imagine the colourful response that would come from his mouth, can't you? And you know the absurdity of the claim that I make. The Brazilian coach will say that it would take a miracle to get me onto the Brazilian team. He'd tell me that I need a complete transformation. And so it is with God. We think that all it takes to make us right with God, to enter God's kingdom, is a little bit of effort on our part Because our sin and our rebellion against him is a small thing. A few good deeds done, keep our nose clean, turn up to church, read our Bible, then we'll be okay. But just as there's no way for me to get into that Brazilian team without a miracle, it's even more true with God. The only way to become a member of God's family, if you'd like to be on God's team, is by a miracle. I need a complete transformation. And that's the third perspective we need. We are a new creation. Now take a look with me at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And a miracle is exactly what happens. The only way to become a member of God's kingdom is by transformation, to be a new creation. That by trusting in Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, we find ourselves in Christ. We find that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And this will cause a permanent change. God, by his spirit, dwells in the heart of all believers. He's implanted himself, engrafted himself, merged himself with our very being. And that's a miracle. It's a transformation. God has done what I could never do. God has reconciled me to himself. God has made me right with him. And Paul's quite emphatic, isn't he? Once we're in Christ, the old has gone. We've been moved forward, away from the old self. And the more and more of our life that we're prepared to submit to the Lordship of Christ, the more we'll be able to see the work of the Spirit in our lives, revealing more and more of that new creation. That means the old things that we used to do, the things that we did before we became Christians, well, they they don't haunt us anymore. The guilt of the broken promises, the failed relationships, the deceptions, the greed, the ambition, the willful hurt of others. All the things that used to define us, well, they define us no more. What defines us now is not the things of the world, but the truth that we belong to God, that God dwells in us by His Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we now have new desires, don't we? To please God. And not to please ourselves. And the more of our lives we're willing to submit to Christ, to allow Him to be the Lord of, the more we'll bear fruit. It has that new creation. The things that used to hold us will hold us no more. And as we think about the new perspective, I wonder if that feels, well, maybe a little bit heavy on our hearts. The thought of the judgment seat of Christ, is that a little bit uh, troubling? The thought of the fear of the Lord? I'm wondering quite how we'll get the power that we need to submit all areas to someone who will judge us, someone whom we fear, especially those areas where we know we keep failing, those besetting sins that we keep going back to. We just don't seem to be able to let go. And we have these questions in our mind. Does God really love me? Can God really use me? And that's what we're going to see in verses 18 through 21 we see the power we need and the ministry every christian has take a look with me at verses 18 through 21 all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation the god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sins against them And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can see that there are a couple of aspects of what Paul is saying here. uh, That there's a work that God has done. Uh, and that's shown in the indented uh, verses, verses 19b to 20. And we see what it is that we've been invited to do. That's the bit that's uh, pushed off uh, to one side there. So let's take a look at what God has done. Uh, God has been at work reconciling us to himself through Christ. Now, we often kind of skip through those words, don't we? Um, we uh, just... Say them without really dwelling upon them, uh, failing to see just how delightful uh, they really are. Uh, but the enormity of what's happened, I think it's worth pondering, isn't it? Uh, God, uh, the one who's created all things, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the creatures, the plants, and then humanity, incredibly made in his image. We've been made for close fellowship with him, but we rebelled and we broke that relationship. And the one who is utterly holy, righteous and just has been horribly aggrieved by the creatures he's made by you and by me and the verdict for that rebellion well that's come in it's guilty the verdict's right it's fair and it's undebatable and the penalty is eternal condemnation with no chance of parole it's a penalty that fits the crime because the one that we've offended is the one who is truly righteous the one who is to be feared Well, there was nothing that we could do to get ourselves out of that bind. But God took the initiative. God took the initiative. The one who was under no obligation to us looked down from heaven and set his love on each one of us. You and me and reconciled us through Christ as Christ lived the perfect life and then took our punishment in our place. Uh, In verse 21, the NRV doesn't translate two very small Greek words that uh, start that verse, hyperhemon, for us or for our sake. The love of God was so strong that the reconciling work was done not to make God feel better if you like or not to serve him, but for our sake, for our good, for you and for me, that for us, God made Christ, who had no sin, to become sin for us. And Not that Christ became sinful, but that the consequences of our sin, the penalty for our sin, fell on his shoulders, on the righteous one. And Paul tells us that there was a cosmic exchange that occurred at the cross. That because Christ had no sin and he took our sin upon himself, we receive his righteousness we can be seen as perfectly right by God we get Christ's righteousness as a free gift we've been reconciled we've been made right and all of this is from God God has reconciled himself to us us to himself you and me and that's the most amazing news imaginable And because of this, in verse 19, we're told that God now no longer counts our sins against us. And as we dwell on that, that will give us the power that we need so that we can trust that God has indeed set his love upon us and that he has reconciled us to himself. And we need to trust that God will never abandon us, never forsake us, never leave us. We need to rest in the assurance of God's goodness, to fear him. Reverently and in awe. The God who is so righteous that he can't look upon sin. But he's also gracious, compassionate and kind. That he would take the initiative and reconcile us to himself. To deal with the biggest problem that we have. The problem of our rebellion against God. And the more we're prepared to meditate on that. To dwell on that truth. To allow the sweetness of that reconciliation to sit on our tongue the more we'll have the power to live boldly for him and to do that joyfully and as we do that we'll be transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ and we'll long to build confidently and joyously with gold, with silver and with precious stones because we long to delight the one who would do all that for us I wonder if you know that in your own hearts. And because God has done that work of reconciliation between God and man, uh, we're called to partner with God in the same ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. Take a look with me at verses 19b to 20. He writes, And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, If you've ever wondered what God is calling you to do, here's your answer. God has called each one of us to be ambassadors. Uh, And as you know, ambassadors are people who go from the country of their origin to another land. And there they proclaim the excellencies of the country that they've come from. They go to the distant land and there they live as people of their homeland. With their homeland values, principles and ideals. So that others might look and see what a wonderful place it is that the ambassador comes from. And the ambassadors tell the people about the wonderful things of the land that they've come from. So that the people might long to visit that land. And that's us. That's you and that's me. Our home is with God in heaven. That's the land from which we have been sent. And we go out to tell people that there's a king, a king over all kings. That God has made it possible for anyone who wants to go to that king, the one who can meet all of our needs now and through all of eternity. And he's the one who will come finally to every land and every people for final judgment. A judgment that can be averted by turning to him now. It's possible to be reconciled to that true king. We're ambassadors, aren't we, of that greatest king. We're ambassadors with the most significant message to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the ministry of reconciliation. It's as Jesus said, isn't it, as he started his uh, ministry, we read in Mark's gospel, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's the ministry of reconciliation that we too have been called to And it's amazing, isn't it, that God doesn't need us, but He invites us. He makes His appeal to the world through us, you and through me. And let me close with uh, two illustrations of being an ambassador uh, for Christ. In 1885, six students from Cambridge University and one from the Royal Military Academy felt so overwhelmed at hearing the gospel of what God had done for them in and through Christ. That they left Cambridge and they travelled to China uh, to share the gospel, to proclaim this ministry of reconciliation. They were known as the Cambridge Seven. Uh, they gave their lives uh, to spreading the gospel in that land. But their friends and the relatives back home were just not positive. They were just not encouraging. In fact, they constantly told them to give up on their desire to share the good news with those in China. One of the seven, probably the most famous, Charles Studd, uh, was also an England cricketer, and he was urged by his friends in England to give up. And he said to them this If Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice I can make can be too great to make for him. 120 years later, the seeds planted uh, through their work as ambassadors for Christ have resulted in millions of people coming to know the Lord Jesus and the church growing phenomenally fast in that place. It's an inspiring story, isn't it? Uh, but as I look at it, maybe this is just me, it's also rather crushing. I, I haven't had a sense of a calling to a distant land to proclaim the good news. Um, you know, Millions of people haven't uh, turned because of a proclamation by me. And so the danger is that we look at uh, these seven brave men who lived and died for Christ in the most amazing ways, and we think, nah, it's not for me that was for them how about this man not a household name his name is Kimball Kimball was a Sunday school teacher he was responsible for teaching the young people as they came into his church uh, and he was always given the most difficult children to look after the most raucous would be sent Kimball's way And he would say it was like herding cats. Uh, He taught them, however, with great care. And he took it upon himself to pray earnestly for each of the boys that was in his care. And to share the gospel with each one of them personally. He made that his mission. And it required an awful lot of time and effort. And he writes that on many occasions he was tempted just to throw in the towel and stop. But he persevered. And in Paul's words, he was building with gold, with silver, and with fine stones. Uh, One of the boys, who seemed to have absolutely no understanding of the gospel and little interest, uh, so Kimball thought, well, I will go to his place of work and I'll have a one-to-one exchange with him. So he went to his place of work, a shoe shop, uh, took the young man uh, into the stock room, sat him down, And told him of the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, The young man in that storeroom was converted. He gave his life to Christ. He believed and he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. That man? Dwight L. Moody. And he went on to be one of the greatest preachers and teachers of his time. Reaching millions of people with a call to be reconciled to God through his ministry and through his writings. All because... One person acted as an ambassador for Christ in his local Sunday school, in his community. We might not all be Dwight Moody's, but we can all be Kimball's, each one of us. We can be people who prayerfully look to see who God has placed in our path and with whom we can be ambassadors for Christ and then be deliberate about speaking to them urging them I'm going to close in prayer uh, perhaps when I've prayed before the band comes up can we just have a moment where we'll just can I invite you just to yeah just to pray uh, ask God who it is that he's laying on your heart who he's placed in your way for whom you can be a kimball to someone and then just pray that he might give us opportunities to be ambassadors to those people so let me pray Uh, Heavenly Father thank you so much uh, for for these amazing truths of uh, the reconciliation that, uh, that you have done thank you that it was for our sake uh, that you made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God Father I pray that that truth would burn brightly in our hearts help us see the enormity of what it is that you have done to reconcile us to yourself and might our hearts be filled to overflowing with love for you that we might with joyful hearts go out and build with gold, with silver and with precious stones as ambassadors for Christ I pray that as we pause to uh, pray that you might reveal to us uh, those whom you are calling us to, to pray for to be ambassadors to to be holding out that ministry of reconciliation be at work in our hearts we pray in jesus name amen uh, that does bring us uh, to the end of our service uh, this evening uh, my prayer is the lord spoken to you uh, tonight uh, is, uh, uh, if that's true for you then please please do pray with someone uh, before you go um, if you'd like someone to pray with, then uh, Liz is here, Neil, uh, Colin or myself or just anybody really. Uh, but please do pray uh, before you go. Uh, some words of, uh, of hope and encouragement. Uh, that's our verse for the year. Uh, Romans uh, 15, 13. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You may abound in hope. Amen.